unshakable faith. Take your Bible and turn with me to 1 John. We'll be there in just a minute. We're going to spend some time in uh, the book of 1 John together as we look at unshakable faith. 1 John chapter 4. If you were to summarize our world today, at least the last five, six, seven, eight years or so, one word that you could easily summarize our culture is shaky. Whether you look at the jobs that people have, they were on shaky ground. Uh, Our national security has been on shaky ground. The whole world has been shaky. The economy, politics, As a result, record numbers of people are feeling insecure about their lives, about their future. But I've got some good news tonight, one that's not brand new to us, but we need to bring back to the core of our hearts. God is unshakable. And just like that picture depicts, sometimes we feel like we're there raising our hands in praise to God while the tornado strikes, the lightning bolt comes down, the sky is dark, the wind is blowing, and everything around us could be crumbling, yet we need to have faith rooted deeply that our God is unshakable. He's not the least bit worried about the shaky news that we're hearing. In fact, he is overseeing All the shaking that's going on in the world. He reminds us in Hebrews 12 of these words. This means that the things on earth will be shaken. So that only eternal things will be left. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. You see, God often is the one doing the shaking. Not to scare us, but to strengthen us. Not to cause us to worry, but to bring us to a place of worship. He's shaking out all the dead and dry and crusty stuff. He's shaking out the things that don't need to be there so there can be room for the life-giving roots to grow. So for the next couple weeks, we're going to focus on God's unshakable kingdom and remind ourselves of the things that we can count on during some uncertain times. I want to walk through the New Testament book of 1 John together. We're not going to do it from chapter 1 straight through. We're going to bounce around, but we're going to touch on a number of passages in 1 John. John the Apostle wrote this letter to Christians during some very shaky, uncertain times. Times in the first century that are not totally unlike what we're facing today. As I recently read through this letter, I discovered a host of unshakable truths that we can build our life on that I want us to focus in on. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. We'll be looking at verse 7 through 21 tonight. This evening I'll be reading through this passage from the New Living Translation. It's a translation, not a paraphrase. And and just a sidebar, if it's ever bugged you why there's more than one translation, I don't know if that's ever bugged you or not. That used to aggravate the snot out of me in school. Can't they get it right? Can't you just get one translation? This is ridiculous. Can't we finally agree on this? And it's not that God or his word changes, but culture and our language changes. And so as the culture and language shifts, we don't want to lose sight of the the purpose of what God is saying. And so often multiple translations can be a good tool. Just like my brother here, I could look at, Larry's shirt, and I could say, you have a short sleeve shirt on. That'd be true. I could say, you have a collared button shirt on. 
I could say you have a tan yellowish shirt on, and you may question my ability to see colors, but it would halfway be true. I could peel back that collar and look at the label, and I could call out the brand of that shirt, and that would be true. But all of those are true, yet each piece gets a little bit more to what's happening. A paraphrase is just going to give us that. It's going to paraphrase. And if we're hanging weight on one word or another, we need to make sure we're using a translation, not not a paraphrase. But allow these translations to bring light. And so most of us are probably not holding the New Living Translation in your hands tonight. This is an okay thing, even a good thing. And allow you, when you see some of the differences, this could be a place of study, importance for us. We'll unpack some of that over the next couple of weeks. But let's look at chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. First and foremost, John wants us to be reminded that you can count on God's love. He teaches that these verses can show us that God's love can be experienced and God's love can be expressed. And we're going to look at both of those tonight. God's love experienced and God's love expressed. Let's look at God's love experienced together. He begins in verse 7 and 8. By showing us that love's origin is so important to us in our faith. Love's origin, verse 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. The key idea here is pretty simple. But it's so simple that we can often overlook its importance. It is the fact that God is love. Write that in. God is love. God is the subject Not love being the subject. See, God defines love. Love originates and it flows from the great heart of God. We must stop thinking as if love is something that just describes God. God is in his nature love. God wants that love to be experienced in our lives and expressed through us. In other words, if you experience God, you will experience love. If finding God is your goal, then you will definitely find love. If finding love is your goal, then there's a great probability that you may not find love or God. John puts it this way, anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. This sounds like a Dr. Seuss riddle. What, what is happening here? Come on, help me, Pastor Brady. You, you're talking about these, these uncertain times and, and unshakable faith, and this just sounds like Sunday School 101. How could this be so important in my life? Friend, John is reminding this early church of how foundational God's love is. When everything else is crumbling around you, we need to see how when we experience God's love and when his love is expressed in and through us, it can be the very roots that hold us to the ground, that keep us together. You see, this life lesson is is pretty clear. When I experience God, I will experience love. So when everything is shifting and blowing and moving around you, our goal needs to be to experience God. And His love, Him being love, will saturate our very being. We're to quit looking for love in wrong places. You won't find it in this world or in any particular relationship with another human being. Or even deep within yourself, like some would suggest today. God is the source of love. Experience Him and you will experience love. So what is this love 
like. That's the second thought, love's nature, verse 9 through 12. Look at that in your Bibles. John's going to talk to us about love's nature. Love is not an abstract idea that's so slippery that it cannot be conversed about. John provides us with real-life examples of what God's love is to look like. His name is Jesus Christ. God showed how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. See, love required a channel through which it could flow and express itself. Love isn't love until it finds an expression in a person. And the key idea, jot this down, is that love requires a channel. There needs to be a conduit. There needs to be an avenue in which love can flow. Notice what Pastor John writes here in this text. This is real love. It is not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And His love has been brought to full expression through us. Are you beginning to see how John is telling us how love works here? Father God chose His only Son, Jesus Christ, to be the channel, the conduit for His love to come to us. And when you experience Him, you are a recipient of the channel of love from God to you. A life lesson that we can build some foundation on is this. When I become God's channel, I will experience His love. So in other words, it wasn't just that Jesus was the channel of God's love to come to us, but when we experience God, we too are to be a channel in which His love can flow through. Now a popular thought would be is I need to get love to be able to give love. But this appears to be backwards according to John. This popular notion that you first got to get love to give it. The Bible repeatedly reminds us that when I make myself available to God, when I allow myself to be the conduit for God, for God to love others through me, then I experience His love through that process. That's a very sophisticated way that John is talking to us. And if I would bring it down to maybe some more simple terms, John is saying, if you are feeling the storms of life, if you're feeling things crumble around you, and you need the the foundational love of God, start looking for somebody else to love. Start looking for someone to pour yourself into. Don't wait till things get rosy. Don't wait till you have extra time. Don't wait till it's convenient or till you feel this spiritual goosebump. Start loving the people around you. It will not only bless them, but you will experience, you will be dripping with God's love in your own life. When I become God's channel, I will experience His love. Yet amazingly, we experience this love not thinking it would be for us, it's just for someone else, and this is part of God's plan. It begins to ask the question for us, how can I personally experience God's love? The third is love's reception. How do I receive it? If that's how I'm a conduit, how do I receive it? Verse 15 and 16, John makes it clear and pretty simple for us. All who proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. This key to experiencing God is in the proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Now, it's more than just reciting words. To proclaim Jesus as the Son of God means to confess that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. It's more than a verbal pronouncement. It's more than just carrying a Bible with you, more than just wearing a Christian t-shirt or putting a religious bumper sticker on. It involves acknowledging the personal gift of your Savior in Jesus Christ, forsaking your sin and moving with Him. This has nothing to do with how long you've gone to church, nothing to do with how much of the Bible you have memorized, everything to do with how up-to-date your relationship with Jesus is. The key idea is this, love is received through Jesus. I was talking with a group of guys (laughs) this weekend, and I asked them, I said, in this retreat, what do you hope to experience? (laughs) And this individual is pretty unique. I don't think anybody in this room knows him. But he said, oh, we just want to worship Jesus. I said, good. What else would you like to experience? Man, we just want to worship Jesus. And we just kept talking longer and longer. I said, oh, that's great. Tell me, what would that look like? Man, we would just sit there and worship Jesus. And I tell you, if we didn't talk for 15 minutes, he said worship Jesus 147 times. And I was just trying to figure out some of the the format in which they, they would choose to gather. But it was very clear to me that he was more excited about sitting at the feet of Jesus than fishing. Or more excited about sitting at the feet of Jesus than playing basketball. Or going and playing golf, which was on their agenda to do. And those are okay things. You see, when, when you experience Jesus as your personal Savior, when you have a dialogue with Him, it is rich. It is good. It's not, come on, Jesus. There's a richness there, and this is what John is talking about. Love is received through that kind of relationship with Jesus. In the next verse, Pastor John makes this clear again. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in Him. Here's the operative word, trust. We put our trust in Him. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. So write down this all-important life lesson. When I trust Jesus as my Savior, I receive His love. Again, you can go to church your whole life. You can show up every Sunday night and not miss one. But if my trust is no longer placed in Jesus, if my weight is no longer in Him, then I am not to experience His love. When's the last time that you acknowledged before Jesus that not that you just believe that He exists, and not just that you have had some kind of experience at once upon a time resting on Him, but you there again put your weight, this is kind of scary, if this falls, this could be a bad illustration, Put, put your weight and rest on God. This is the picture of trust. It's, I, I, if this stool goes out, I'm in trouble. It's everything I have weighing on Him, trusting in Him. When, when I can have a foundation like that, His love comes through me. This isn't my idea. This isn't Oprah's idea. This isn't some just good self-help talk that we, we get on a 30-day plan to a better life. This is rooted in God's Word. We see that when we trust Him, we receive His love. That's the experience of God's love. But John also talks to us about the expression of God's love. God's love expressed. Let's look at verse 17 through 21. I want to unpack these verses as we look closely here tonight at how God's love can be perfected in us. First, in this section, we see that love's perfection in verse 17 is key. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect because we are like Christ here in this world. The word for perfect 
doesn't carry with it the idea that there's no mistake or error or unconscious wrong that is done. It's a perfecting of purpose, teleos. It's being made perfect for his use. We've talked about that before. But love being made perfect makes us more like God and we have a stronger foundation. You see, I was listening to a conversation with a friend. I was on a three-way phone call. And uh, there was a type A personality talking to my friend Daniel. And this type A personality uh, was kind of accusatory to Daniel. And I was perplexed. This wasn't the first time I noticed this. This well-learned man with a Ph.D. who'd been there and done that, he just kind of took it in stride. The person was kind of accusing him of not doing what he should have done, and the phone call got awkward, and if I was in the room, I kind of would have slipped out, but we were on a three-way call. I don't know what the protocol is. Should I just hang up? What do I do? This is weird. So I'm kind of listening, and it's awkward, and it's just kind of there, and I just listened to Daniel diffuse the situation. And I thought, what is that in him? It was so attractive to me. I wanted to be like that. I didn't want this other type A personality to do that to me, but I thought something is amazing here. And I began to see that this is what's happening here. It's God's love expressed through his life, and it was love being perfected in him. Now, Daniel's not without air. He doesn't uh, live a, a life where there's no mistake ever made, but God is perfecting his love in him, and it came out in humility. It came out as an expression of God's love. The key idea is love grows stronger the more it is expressed. And I listened to Daniel just begin to bless this type A personality, and I'm going, what is that about? It was God's love moving in and through him. No doubt you have seen an example in your life, or you have witnessed something else of of another person around you, and maybe you didn't have the handles to speak about it, but this is what's happening. God's love is being made perfect in them. A life lesson for us is the more that I depend on God, the stronger his love in me becomes. And when I thought about this line, it was like a light coming on for me, for my friend Daniel. You see, Daniel has just sold everything he owned in the last year and a half. Daniel felt a call to go to Israel, he and his wife, to be used by God in a prayer ministry in Israel. And the avenues in which they had given themselves for decades didn't seem to be opening up on his team that he was a part of. And God chose a sister church to reach out to them, and boy, they are out on a limb if I've ever seen one. And they had committed to go, and it was in this arena of his life where this three-way phone call that I was a part of happened. And I began to connect the dots. I don't know that I've seen anybody as reckless abandon as I've seen in my friend Daniel. And it became so easy for him because he was so desperately dependent on Jesus. All he had was his love. So what does this mean for me tonight on Sunday night? When the storm comes blowing at you, don't try to hang on to all the stuff around you. Let it blow. And the more dependent you are on Jesus, the faster his love can come out of your life. It's this idea that we've been talking about this evening about being broken. It's allowing God to be enough. He's more than enough as long as I keep my job. He's more than enough as long as people talk nice about me. He's more than enough as long as I have all the food I want to eat. He's more than enough as long as I get a vacation. 
well, that's not enough. That's like he's an add-on. But John says God's love is foundational for us. It's enough to feast on. The more dependent I am on God, the stronger his love in me becomes. Satan's plot to discourage Christian followers is, is simply to get them to fail in allowing transparency to be there. So he tries to convince us to depend on our own ability to do things. But Jesus taught us the only way that we can love people around us is not in our own strength, but through God's. Only way we can love our enemies is by God's agape, his perfect love to fill our hearts. A lot of new Christians, I think, miss this. They find a gaping hole in their life in the area of love, and so they are bound and determined to love more, be more compassionate, and yet they don't need more of themselves. They need to admit that they need more of God. Second thought in this section of God's love expressed is love's protection. Love is perfected in us, but also there is a protective quality to God's love. Look at verse 18. God's love is the best insurance around. It's a blanket of coverage both for the present and for the future. John tells us such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of judgment. And this shows that his love has not been perfected in us. In other words, if fear is running your life, it can be a normal response, but it means there needs to be a higher dose of of trust and love in God. His love will cast out fear. It doesn't mean that you get excited about turmoil in your life, but it means that you are more dependent on your loving dad to be there to protect you. The key idea is that love will drive out fear. It won't allow fear to cripple you any longer because you will allow God's love to be your strength, your security, and your protection. A life lesson for us is the more I love God, the less I have a cause for fear. The more reckless abandoned I am in my love for God, the less of a cause I have for fear to rule my life. William Barclay says this, if all you know is the fear of God, you have not yet received the love of God to drive out that fear. God brings us back to himself, not with fear and judgment, but through the fact of his love. And it's through his unfailing love that we see that he doesn't want to leave us the same way. And there is a place for his correction in our life. Love's perfection in us. Love's protection around us. And finally, love's proclamation. Verse 20 and 21. The bottom line is this. John tells us, if someone says, I love God, but he hates another Christian, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see. How can we love God whom we cannot see? What a great insight. I've actually heard Christians say from time to time, I love God, it's just that person that I hate. (laughs) I think I understand their heart and transparency, and we go through those emotions at times. But John would say, no, no, you don't love God. Because if you did, you would have a love for those people in your life. The same love that casts out fear is the same love that casts out hatred. We try to compartmentalize God's love as something that just we receive or something that just covers an area of my sin, but it doesn't mess with my association with other people. It doesn't mess with my extended family. It doesn't mess with my spouse. It doesn't mess with my blended family. That's a separate thing. God says, no, my love will affect all of that. 
the shaky relationships in your life are screaming out for the foundations of God's love. A key idea is loving others is evidence that you and I love God. When I begin to love somebody else, it's evidence that God's love is in me. John concludes with this clear imperative. And God himself has commanded that we must love not only him, but our Christian brothers and sisters. Let's circle that word, command and love. He didn't suggest, he didn't say this is the best idea. He commanded that we love. This simply illustrates how easy it is for us to try to make excuses or substitutions. And God says, I need you to see the conduit and love in which you have received through Jesus. You are now a conduit to give to someone else. A final life lesson for us tonight is the more I love others, the more I show my love for God. See, Christianity is not about Jesus and me. It's about Jesus and we. I'm really beginning to understand that God is not so concerned about how I express my love to him, but he's more concerned about how I receive his love and how I give his love to you. Because you see, the way I love you determines how I love him. The way I love them determines how I love him. As we close tonight, I want you to think about the shaky relationships in your life. It may be with your spouse or with a child or with a grandchild or a grandparent. Maybe with a sibling, it may be with a neighbor, a boss, an employee. I'm not just casting a wide net to try to catch something. I'm trying to be honest. If we look, there are relationships that are shaky in our life. See, the more shaky that relationship is, it screams out for God's love to be evident there. If we don't get that relationship right, pretty soon our relationship with God gets shaky. Might I suggest to you that God is allowing that shakiness to take place, not to kill that relationship, but to possibly cure it and to give you a foundation that could weather all types of storms. You see, you can't love God without loving the, next, the person next to you. Turn the person next to you and tell them that. So you can't love God without loving me. Tell them. You're going to be God's messenger. Tell them. If they're asleep, wake them up. Say, it's almost over. Wake up. As we pray tonight, it's my desire for a room like this where we have the core of those who are part of the body of Christ. I doubt that there's many, if any, in this room who have not heard or taught a lesson on God's love. But I think the reminder that in uncertain times and shaky things around us, we need to allow God's love to be a litmus test for us of where our roots go. Let's pray and ask God to let this grow in our hearts. Heavenly Father, we like to talk about things that go wrong around us. There's something in us that likes to stew about things in our climate around us, and we need to be concerned, and we need to be responsible and do our part and be active. But God, I... I pray that you would allow this shaking around us to be ordained for you. 
God, in our theology, we like to think that you ordain the good moments, but we struggle with the thought that you ordain the shaky, hard times. But, Father, we confess that though you may not cause them to happen, you sure will redeem them and even ordain them to be a blessing in our life and a blessing in the lives of people around us. Thank you, God, that your love for us is so deep It is so wide. It is so enough. May we experience how secure we are in you when we base our worth, our identity, our purpose, our mission, and our obedience to you and your great love for us. We thank you for these truths in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.